Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Imagine being the co-founder of not one, but two successful leading marketing software companies. Well, John Miller doesn't have to imagine. As the co-founder of Marketo, the world's leading marketing automation software, and the co-founder of Engageo, John is a true thought leader and innovator in the world of revenue. John shares his vision and journey in the world of marketing, which led him to his role today as chief marketing officer and chief product officer at Demandbase, the most comprehensive account-based marketing solution available today. Leading marketing for a company that enables marketers is an interesting place to be. John shares how he stays ahead of the game. He also shares the top things marketing should be thinking about today to successfully power the revenue engine. So take a listen, and as always, stay to the end to hear something you probably didn't know about John. So excited to be here today with John Miller, a true thought leader and entrepreneur in the marketing world. John is currently the chief marketing and product officer at Demandbase after the company he founded and led as a CEO was acquired in mid-2020. With the acquisition, Demandbase is the most comprehensive ABM solution on the market. Prior to founding Engageo, John was the co-founder of Marketo, the leader in marketing automation software, which was acquired by Adobe in 2018 for $4.75 billion, and that's billion with a B. So welcome, John, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Great. So you have had an incredibly impressive career in consulting, in marketing, and as a founder and CEO. I think we could easily spend our entire time together just talking about Marketo. So maybe we start there. You know, can you share maybe a little bit about your career journey and maybe how it led you to become a co-founder at Marketo? Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the sort of fun fact is that I actually studied physics for my undergraduate and, and thought I was going to go into academia and get a PhD. But I sort of just felt like I deserved to at least check out the other side of the world. And I managed to get a job in a, a small consulting firm uh, out of out of college. And I liked it well enough that I was like, okay, I'm going to you know, stay in this world for a little bit. And this consulting firm, actually, we were doing customer value. It was called Customer Value Exchange. And it was sort of how do you, we were doing analysis around the customer relationships. And the owner realized that our our clients couldn't necessarily implement all the recommendations because they didn't have the technology in their companies to support it. And he actually went and, and they acquired an a old mainframe campaign <laughs> solution and re-architected it for client server. That company eventually spun out and became known as Exchange, which was probably the leading MarTech company of the mid-90s. So you fast forward a, a couple of years, I, I went to gra- you know, go get my MBA and I was graduating. Uh, this was 1999 and everybody was going into high tech because of the internet. Yeah. 
So I figured, well, maybe I should do. <laughs> and I managed to get a job at a company called Epiphany, uh, which I probably wasn't qualified for considering I'd never worked in tech. But <laughs> they were gonna they were building a campaign management product that they figured would compete against Exchange. And so the fact I had sort of at least a loose connection to that other company sort of got me the job as the first product manager there. And Epiphany went on to be very successful and had a big IPO. Uh, and I would say it was the leading MarTech company of the internet era. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we, you know, we, rose up, we rose to a ridiculously high valuation, crashed down the other side of it during the bubble, when the bubble popped. Um, and we finally ended up selling Epiphany to an ERP firm in two, late 2004. So that's when I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do next? And I was having conversations with Phil Fernandez, who had been Epiphany's president and chief operating officer. And he and I both kind of realized that we shared a view of an opportunity that was in the marketplace, which was to deliver the kind of powerful enterprise marketing software that we had been doing at Epiphany, mm -hmm. but to leverage software as a service, which was kind of emerging to make the technology be just fundamentally easier to buy, easier to own, and you know, easier to use. Because the insight we had was that, you know, most companies look at marketing as a cost center. Mm -hmm. And you don't tend to invest a lot of capital into making a cost center uh, more effective, which is not how CFOs think. And so on-premise software wasn't a good fit for marketing because people weren't doing these big capital investments. But the flip side is marketers had massive amounts of program dollars to spend. They could spend $50,000 on a trade show without batting an eye. And so that was the idea, was, just, was that you know, the rise of SaaS would enable marketers to buy the software like they would buy trade shows or Google spend. And I think that was really what unlocked Marketo in the early days to make it successful. So when you left Marketo in, I think it was in early 2015 and decided yeah. to go found a new company, which was, you know, Engagia, which was really a marketing platform for ABM, right? Or account-based marketing. What was, I guess, what led you there? Like, can you share more about sort of your vision for Engagia and what prompted you to leave Marketo and sort of venture out on your own? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I was, I was with Marketo about nine years and mm -hmm. you know, I was original CMO. And then as we grew bigger, I focused in on the demand gen function. Mm -hmm. And you know, at Marketo, we built a revenue engine that was really quite successful using our own technology. It was based on demand generation and inbound marketing. We would generate leads and score them and nurture them until they're ready for the sales team. And yet, as we grew bigger and bigger we started to see the limits of that traditional demand generation engine. You know, we, it, we couldn't really go on market that well because we were sort of at the mercy of who came to us. Uh, mm -hmm. It wasn't particularly successful at kind of marketing to our existing customers. Because, uh, you know, and, and the analogy I, I was using was that the kind of marketing we'd been doing was fishing with a net. You know, we didn't mm -hmm. really care who we spotted. We just cared, did we catch enough fish? So at Marketo, we started building the second revenue funnel, uh, revenue engine, which was much more about identifying the accounts that we really wanted and finding ways to proactively go after them. And it was much more like fishing with spears. And 
And it worked. It was effective. It was good to have both revenue engines. And yet the opportunity I saw was how hard it was to do with a traditional lead-based you know, tech stack like Marketo, like Salesforce, uh, lead object. And I had driven my marketing team crazy trying to <laughs> do this spear phishing, both managing it and also measuring it, you know, because it wasn't a good single view of the account to sort of even be able to know what was actually going on and if this stuff was working. So when, after a great long run of nine years at Marketo, I started to get the itch to kind of be entrepreneurial and go, go start something new. And it was after, it didn't take very much searching before I realized that this, this pain that I experienced of, of trying to, you know, do what became known as account-based marketing uh, with the existing tech stack uh, created the perfect opportunity for a new company. I, lo I love that analogy of fishing with a net versus a spear because it is incredibly difficult, right? I mean, the marketing is just so, it's such a vast opportunity to be able to figure out kind of a pinpoint and really go after the accounts and the targets that you want is not an easy feat. Um, when you When you look back at you know, both Marketo and Engageo, you know, both companies that had incredible success, right? What are some of the things that um, you think you did right that really helped drive and accelerate revenue growth? I think you touched on some of them, um, you know, as you're talking about your journey, but what are some of the other things or are there other things? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I'd really kind of point to three. Um, and the last one's pretty obvious, but the first two maybe are, are a little bit more interesting. So I think the, the first one is that both Marketo and Engageo, we didn't create the category. You know, we found or I found a existing category that was early that had at least one significant larger player that was sort of helping to evangelize and helping to kind of create it that mm -hmm. we could come in and, and sort of leverage off of some of that existing momentum and at the same time, kind of ultimately almost redefine it uh, for our own purposes. You know, at, at Marketo, that existing player was Eloqua. And in interestingly enough, at, at Engageo, that existing player was Demandbase, uh, who had sort of been a larger company that had been sort of, you know, earlier and helping to define the category. So that's the first one, is kind of finding an existing market that we could differentiate in. The second thing is in both cases, uh, I worked really hard to build a brand uh, based on thought leadership and trust. Uh, and, you know, I, I, even though I'm a demand gen marketer at heart, you know, I think brand is incredibly important because you can have the best demand gen programs, but if your brand stinks, you know, people are going to be making decisions for your competitors before you even have a chance to get in the deal. And I think B2B buying is so scary because these are big deals that if you screw up, you can lose your job. That the more we can help buyers trust us, the better we are. And that's where thought leadership and social proof kind of play such an important role. And at both Marketo and Engageo, I spent a lot of time on that kind of thought leadership. The third one is sort of least interesting, which is then you just go execute well. You know, <laughs> you have to build <laughs> a good product. You got to have a strong marketing department. You have to have a good sales team. You got to make your customers happy, which I'm not saying any of that's easy, but it is, 
important part of kind of the lesson of those companies. Absolutely. That's great. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the market itself, because you mentioned about, you know, buyers, you know, buyers are becoming smarter, right? They're becoming more informed. They're demanding much more, right, from their vendors of choice. You know, targeted account marketing has become, you know, increasingly important, right? As customers try to cut through the noise, they're trying to differentiate themselves from the competition. Um, you know, what are you sort of seeing in terms, I guess, in the market in terms of trends around ABM? Like, how has it evolved and where do you see it going? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a really interesting question. Um, it's my favorite of all the ones, of all the questions. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, there's kind of three big trends that I'd, I'd want to point to here. Um, the, the first one is, you know, that I think there's just been a pretty dramatic change in how marketing and sales teams work together. I mean, in the days of Marketo, uh, we, we sort of had these like waterfalls of MQLs to SALs to SQLs or whatever. Uh, and they were, that, the model there was very much one of a baton handoff. You know, marketing would generate the lead and then we'd hand it to the SDR and then they'd qualify it and then they'd hand it to the salesperson and then they'd close it and then they'd hand it to customer success. Uh, and, and, you know, we would actually turn off the marketing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, 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 it just feels very different today, partly because the buying journey has gotten more complex and less linear. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what you're seeing is, you know, a model that today feels less like a baton handoff and more like, I think, like I like to use the analogy of a soccer team, you know, where there's, sir, there's players in different positions, but the, you pass the ball back and forth as the ball moves up and down the field. Sales is more involved at the top of the funnel, especially because there's all these new sales engagement tools like Sales Loft and Outreach and so on. Uh, a lot of companies, the sales reps are sending more emails than the marketers are now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, at, at the top of the funnel. Yep. And at the same time, buying committees are getting bigger and bigger, which means marketing should be spending more time with existing opportunities. Because there's no way the sales rep can talk to all 16 members of the buying committee one-on-one. You need sort of the volume of, of, of the marketing team. So that sort of change in the marketing and sales dynamics is, is one big thing. The second one is, you know, buyers have always wanted to sort of be anonymous and they're, and are, they're, 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 they're resistant to sort of getting unwanted marketing and unwanted selling. <laughs> But I think what's happened is they've a lot of buyers have gotten kind of clued into the process here, you know, and so they know if they <laughs> go to your website and download that white paper, that it probably means they're going to get a bunch of phone calls from an SDR, but maybe they're not ready for those phone calls in order they want them. And so a lot of the research that people do used to be, happen on your website that tools like Marketo could track, and you could use that to know, hey, when's when's the time? to call. But now that research is happening, not on our site, you know, or they're not filling out the forms at least because they don't want the unwanted phone calls. And so we need new ways to be able to sort of track and monitor and know when an account or a person is kind of lighting up and, and is ready to go. And that's, that's, uh, we, we'll, we'll talk more about that in a bit, but that's sort of where intent data has just become so important in B2B, sort of the ability to know which accounts are kind of showing interest and in, in possibly being in market. And then the third big kind of change here 
is really just the general digitization of the go-to-market. Um, and I mean, obviously we've seen just the rise of digital over the last 10 years, but with, you know, the pandemic and people moving to work from home and everything else, I mean, the stat I saw is we saw six years of digital happen in six months. Mm, wow. You know, and, and so it's changed how we do everything. It's changed how we meet, how we talk, it's changed how we market. And even when the economy opens back up and we're all, not working from home, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you just, you can't put Pandora's, once you've opened Pandora's bottle, you can't put it back in. <laughs> so all these sort of new digital go-to-market strategies that we've been using, I think are here to stay. So, you know, when you look at these three trends, changing sales and marketing dynamics, you know, more research happening offsite, and the in making it harder to know where the buyer is in the buyer's journey, the digitization. I've been talking a lot recently about we sort of might be hitting the end of account-based marketing hmm. as sort of the the main way we sort of think about things. And you you, you sort of alluded to earlier that you liked my analogy of fishing with spears, yeah. <laughs> and it's a good analogy, right? But when you think about it, it, it doesn't feel very good to get poked by a spear. <laughs> you know? And, and, I, and what, what I think we're starting to evolve to is a new model that takes the precision and targeting of ABM, but brings a more customer-centric experience to it. You know, frankly, a friendlier experience to it. Uh, and that's actually what I've been calling account-based experience. Hmm. You know, to sort of really... To talk about kind of the melding of these ideas. And the other thing I really like about account-based experience or ABX is that it doesn't just talk about marketing, right? ABM is just a marketing thing. But in this new world where sales and marketing are working as a team, mm-hmm. we actually need another phrase for something that yeah, it spans RevOps, it spans the revenue engine, it's the entire go-to-market. Uh, and I like account-based experience because it kind of has that bigger idea. I love that. I love thinking about your anonymous research. And I was smiling to myself because I was thinking about how, how when I'm looking at tools myself, I like to try to go to other third party sites to (laughs) figure it out because I, again, don't want to be poked by that spear too heavily. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. Um, So, you know, demand base acquired Engageo, right? Last year, I think mid last year. And now you're currently not only the chief marketing officer, but you're also the chief product officer. Um, you know, with the combination of these two companies, how has the overall product offering and sort of differentiation helped in accelerating revenue growth and expanding your customer base? I mean, this has been a very exciting time in my career. Um, you know, I am incredibly proud. I mean, we we saw the vision of what Engage Plus Demand Base could be, mm-hmm. you know, if we brought them together. And that's why we did the merger. Right. It wasn't a great like, oh, my gosh, big payday or financial exit. It was it was this was product driven. Um, and and we, you know, we moved like the wind to actually bring the solutions together and which was a hard, hard thing. I mean, it made it was a little bit easier because we actually used Engageo as the platform, mm-hmm. the core platform going forward. So in many ways, we basically integrated the demand based functionality into the Engageo solution. And that enabled us to actually release the integrated solution back in November. So about just under just under six months after we, we closed the acquisition. Wow. Um, and it's just so important that we move that quickly because, you know, 
the reality is demand base, as I said earlier, was the early ABM leader and, and is still by far the largest ABM player, but they had lost the innovation edge um, and had just frankly fallen behind some of the other players in the marketplace. But this combination of bringing the two platforms together was literally like three years of roadmap that we got kind of instantly, wow. you know, overnight. Um, and when you and you, you can think about it both ways. <laughs> for Engageo, I got three years of wish my wish list overnight. <laughs> for Demandbase, they got three years of their wish list overnight. You know, together we just leapfrogged. You know, I think where where the where the market was. Um, so I, I feel very confident saying that this now is the best account based platform. The challenge I have as a CMO is I got to tell the whole world. The whole world needs to know and understand, like, this is not your grandfather's demand base. <laughs> you know, this, is, this is a new company with a new solution that is, you know, better and more innovative. Um, so that's a really cool, interesting, and hard branding challenge to kind of you know, reinvigorate this, you know, respected but also older brand. Yeah, it's an interesting space, right, to be responsible for marketing for a company that enables marketing, right? I mean, it do so much more, obviously, as we talked about, it's really enabling the revenue engine and sort of the entire go to market. But, you know, you think about when I think of ABM, obviously, immediately, your marketers are going to be interested. So as the CMO, like, how do you stay ahead, right? You talked about broadening the message, sharing the message, you know, kind of rebranding a little bit. How do you stay ahead of the game and ahead of what the market wants? Yeah, well, before I mean, first of all, I'll say it's really awesome to get to market to marketers and salespeople. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm so glad I get to do it as opposed to you know marketing to engineers or financial analysts or something. No, no offense to those industries, <laughs> but like I get to just talk about what I do. Yeah. You know, and that's marketing. Um, you know, and and people sort of like want to hear like kind of how we do it. Uh, so that's that's I feel very privileged that I get to sort of you know be the marketer that like markets to the marketers. Um, I wish I had like one secret I could tell you for kind of how I stay ahead of the game. Um, you know, I, I think the, the best I can say is like my superpower is synthesis. I'm, I just, I seem to be really good to at just like just taking in a ton of information, uh, you know, and, and frankly, the more detailed, the better, you know? So like, you know, I want to, you know, just, just I, I want to see what the other people in the market are doing. I want to see demos. I want to read things, and I you know I, I can just take it all and I just somehow absorb it and like process it and like turn turn it into kind of like hey this is important. This is kind of where where we need to be going. Um, so that's my superpower. It's also related to, to my kryptonite, <laughs> though, which is I have a hard time turning my brain off. Uh, and sort of, I've, I'm sort of always kind of thinking about all these things and processing, uh, which sometimes leads to sort of being awake at 3am, just, you know, thinking about what's next in marketing. <laughs> well, now I know how you stay ahead. You don't unplug, you don't relax, you don't sleep. <laughs> and just... I, mean, I, 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 I do relax. I do do yoga and exercise and, and, and those types of things, but it's still, you know, it's definitely a challenge to turn yeah, off the brain. Definitely. And, and being bombarded by technology all the time doesn't help. Everything's always on. Does not help. This is true. Does not help. Um, so when I think about you know the revenue engine and this podcast, and one of the reasons I definitely wanted you as a guest is really I hope others will learn, you know, be able to learn something about how to accelerate revenue growth and really how to power that engine, right? I hope that you know through 
through all of these conversations that every, you know, the listeners can take away at least a couple of tangible tips that they can go, um, go and implement or things that they, at least a different perspective that they can now kind of see through a different lens. So from your perspective, you know, what are the top things that marketing should be thinking about, right? And doing to successfully help drive it revenue? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing I'm really hot on these days is aligning kind of every aspect of your go-to-market to where the account is in its journey. Mm-hmm. You know, because if you have an account that is one that could be interesting to you, like maybe they're they're in your ideal customer profile, but they're not really engaging, they're not showing much intent or anything, like all you want to do with those guys is start to just, just create some awareness, you know, on the emotional level, mm-hmm. You know, so that there's some foundation of trust. As they start to show some intent or actually some engagement with you even, now you can start moving from emotion to logic. Mm. That's when you bring in that thought leadership. And again, you're not trying to sell them. You're not trying to get a meeting. You're just trying to help them see you and your company as experts. You know, and then, then is when you start to use things like intent data and 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 predictive analytics to sort of know when this account when it might actually be that magic moment when an account might be willing to kind of take a meeting have a conversation where where it doesn't uh feel like a poke you know poke, poke from a spear <laughs> because it's the right sign them if they're they're actually ready and interested and then you know if you have an account that's that at that stage don't don't just like think about you know, drop the lead. Don't just think about calling the one person who happened to have been on your website. Now, how do you really connect to all the key personas at your account? Because you know they're in they're they're showing the signs of being in market. This is the one you really want to be talking to. So don't give up just because you got one or two no's. Um, and then it's now an open opportunity, right? Again, don't stop marketing. Continue because you know, if you look at like the research by, you know, Gartner does about how people buy, mm-hmm. there's like six different jobs they have to complete, including getting consensus and validation across the buying committee. So as, as, as a marketer, you know, how can you support that job by sharing, by proactively sending consensus building and validation building pieces you know, to, to, to that broader buying committee? Even if it's just, again, advertising. So that way, then when when the, when the CEO hears, "Hey, we're going to go buy demand base," uh, then they're like, "Oh yeah, demand base. I've, I've heard of that. That's you know, they seem like a good company, <laughs> you know." And then, and then, last but not least, your existing customers, um, and not forgetting about existing customers when you're doing your go to market. You know, I mean, so many marketers still get paid just for net new business mm. pipeline. You know, that they literally ignore marketing to their customers, except when they need a reference or something, you know, and yeah, that, that, that pipeline you create from your customers is just as valuable pipeline as pipeline you create kind of from, from a net new account. So that's probably my biggest advice is just really think about your account journey. How are you going to track where accounts are in the journey? How are you going to align your go to market, which is marketing, but also selling you know, to each of those stages. Um, and, and, and then the lastly, I would say, and like I, we talked about brand earlier, just don't, like, just, I, I suspect most people on this, who listen to this podcast 
are not the brand marketers, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're probably the operations people. Maybe they're in demand generation. Maybe they're in, you know, sales ops or sale or possibly sales, but like you can't ignore the brand. It's just, it's really, that is important um, to, to sort of create that lift on, on all the other aspects of your, of your marketing and sales. Yeah, absolutely. The branding, the thought leadership, you know, part, kind of following the customer journey. Those are all things that I think are just rising to the top, right? The companies who are, you know, that we've been featuring on the podcast do that really well, right? When you think about the, the branding of either the person, you know, the leader or the company, um, you know, there's a feeling that kind of that emotional tie that you were talking about when you hear somebody's name, a leader's name or a brand that's really, you know, that's important to you, that resonates with you. And even if you don't know too much about the company, you have a feeling about their brand. And I think that's how uh, that's amazing. Um, What about things that you wish you knew earlier? Are there things that maybe you would have done differently if you could do it all over again? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I... I was, I was very, I was late in, I think, realizing the importance of intent data, mm. you know, in, in the B2B category. Uh, I mean, we started engaging in 2015. I think people started talking about intent mm-hmm. maybe in 2018. You know, I could have even in 20, 2017 where it was first just starting to have a glimmer of it. Um, and and I, I didn't understand how, transformational and critical it was because of this change of research happening, not on our site, but happening kind of out on the oversight. So I don't know if that's a lesson that your, your audience can really do anything with, but, but that is something I, you know, I I really, I I feel like I missed that one and, and want to make sure, you know, I'm sort of not missing kind of other things in the future. The other one that sort of, you know, gosh, if I could have just known um, is just, Imagine if you could have predicted how everything was going to change over the last year because of the pandemic. Um, and I mean, I've literally, uh, you know, it's been about a year uh, since kind of everything, you know, where we, I mean, we stopped working from the office and we kind of came home and, you know, we had to cancel all of our trade shows and all of our trips and everything. And I mean, I, I think back to a year ago and man, it was, wor- it was worrisome. Like we like we didn't know what what is this gonna mean? And what does it mean for business? What does this mean for society? I mean, we just, we just didn't know. And I feel like I wish I wish I could have known then. You know how? You know, well, I don't want to minimize how hard mm-hmm. the pandemic's been for a lot of people. Yeah, it's been incredibly hard. But at least from the context of like my professional side of things, that's been fine. You know, and I and I kind of wish I could have had myself telling myself then, like, you know what, it's going to be okay. Like, you know, like businesses are going to recover and actually, in some cases, thrive. You know, because of this, and it's going to create opportunity. So, you know, just stay safe and hang in there. That's safe. Right. That's great advice. I love that. So, as we wrap up, I always like to ask two things of all the guests, and that's, you know, one, what is the one thing about John Miller that others might be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about you? Sure. Well, you know, uh, my fun fact is that I was actually born in Ethiopia. And, oh. you know, people always ask me, John, why were you born in Ethiopia? And I was going to say, <laughs> I was just about to ask. <laughs> I was going to say, which is, I wanted to be close to my parents. 
<laughs> so the, the less jokey answer is my dad was actually stationed in the, was, was in the army and was stationed uh, at, a, at a, a research base there, an intelligence base. Um, and then the, the, the thing I want everybody to know, you know, this is more speaking to people who work with me or might work with me, which is that, you know, I know just because of my resume or whatever, I can, I can seem int- intimidating and intense, but, but I really just want folks to know that the, the folks that actually who get to know me and work with me realize like, I'm actually pretty approachable and pretty nice. So like, just don't. Don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared by the background or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, well, I'm glad you you said that. And I, I, it's something that I already knew when I approached you about being a guest. So awesome. There you go. Already knew that, but appreciate that. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your thoughts, John. It's just been a true pleasure chat to chat with you. And I'm so grateful for your time um, and definitely for sharing some of your amazing journey. I think we could probably do a whole series of posts around all of the experience that you've had, but I really do appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Thank you.